record it from now. Okay, cool. So, guys, for those of you who don't know, uh, but I assume you guys must have some idea for the reason of turning up today, this is uh, Cullum Gifford. He's uh, a long-time buddy of mine. I was actually thinking about it today, Cullum. I think we've passed the 10-year mark just about now that I've known you. So yeah, about, we would have actually. You're yeah. Right. Uh, I remember I remember the first time we ever trained together, actually. It was me, you, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was Nick or Troy. And we were outside. I think we were playing with the tyre and stuff. Do you remember it? I don't remember. It been a long time ago. No, nah, I, I do remember it, though. The, the first time I'd ever spoken to you in the gym. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Um, but, yeah, so Cullum and me have uh, – I've had the pleasure of being uh, Cullum's teammate on some unfortunate occasions for him. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> you know you know what comes to mind when you say that uh cullum uh has been my coach he's been technically my boss he's been uh, a mentor to me and he has also as i said been one of my good buddies for a long period of time so very cool to get to interview him and uh pick his brain a little bit with you guys uh the intro in in terms of cullum's actual achievements so he's a, a multiple times games athlete coached uh, a number of teams to the games as well as a few individuals to the games uh, and some very high level sanctional events as well. Uh, he runs a very successful gym back in Auckland, New Zealand and uh, runs his own programming company called Renegade Performance, which you guys should go check out after this if you get the chance. All right. So we're going to start with jumping on gang. Yeah. Thanks guys. Uh, I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, this is actually very similar to how we started with Landy as well, but just kind of want to get a feel for how the competitive streak in life, because that's kind of how it all started. Even where you are now, opening up a gym, uh, doing programming, it all started from you being competitive or, or in CrossFit or outside of CrossFit as well. So uh, what sports were you first interested in? And like, did you know you were always going to be kind of like a sports person or like it was always kind of something ingrained in you? Yeah, I guess so. I started, uh, I started playing rugby when I was a kid, obviously very early, um, five and six years old. Um, thinking back on it now, I actually had a competitive streaker. I remember I played uh, my very first uh, game of footy. I played on the wing and I ended up in every ruck and mall. Uh, so I obviously wanted to chase the ball around. And I think that's where that came from. Yeah, um, when I was eight, what's got. that? This is rugby chat for those of you guys who don't follow rugby. Oh, yeah, rugby. Sorry, footy rugby. Um, and then when I was eight, I raced BMX, and that was where I really uh, became a competitive guy. I remember my very first race, I came um, dead last in every single race. We have five races a day. The next week, I beat one guy, and I let him know about it. Um, so I guess that's obviously where that came from. Um, nothing's really changed in that regard, to be fair. Uh, and then, so I raced competitively until I was about 25. I was a four or five time um, New Zealand rep um, at elite level. I won junior elite national, so I was a New Zealand champion, um, North Island champion. And I went to the world champs and raced in, uh, professionally in Canada for a little bit as well. Um, I, sorry, I raced in Canada for money. It's, Obviously, a little bit. Is that not the definition of racing professionally? Yeah, I guess so. Yes, I guess so. I wasn't over there very long, but yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I guess, like I say, when I was a kid, I knew I was quite competitive from there. Um, I did, yeah, 100%. I had a, a very, um, I want to win everything attitude, and that has been the same way through all of the years. Um, when I finished BMX, I played rugby. I played for the New Zealand under 85. 
uh, rugby side. Um, so I reached international, I guess you could call it international status there. And then from there, uh, getting a little bit older, knew my competitive days and those sports were well behind me and needed something else to fill that void because um, I, I knew mentally I wasn't done. Um, so then I fell into CrossFit just by pure chance. Um, one of our friends, Mark Means, um, had started uh, training with that methodology in the gym. I thought it was stupid, as we all did when we first started. Um, he actually said to me, jump on the CrossFit train. And I'm like, no one can see how fit you are when you walk down the beach. So that was my answer to him wanting to get me into that. Uh, and then I slowly got into more and more workouts as the years went on. And the rest is history, I guess. Um, yeah, CrossFit games and regionals and that kind of stuff. And uh, that was literally just me trying to keep the competitive side of me um, satisfied. And um, I kind of knew or I had, had a feeling and a thought that I could be quite good at it if I put the time in. So uh, this is this is one thing I did want to touch on. And when I said I wanted to speak about Megan is because uh, for you, it was very obvious that you were going to compete. You were always it was always driven in you. Megan was very different to that, right? So Megan's his wife, uh, and who's a Olympic weightlifter, also multiple times games athlete. Um, but the reason I brought that up is I just I, I want as someone who's coached a lot of people, there's not you you probably don't just get to see one mindset that works for everyone, right? And everyone's a little bit different when it comes to this kind of stuff. For sure, absolutely. So uh, just because you you're not out to win everything like this idiot is. Um, so <laughs> it's true. So. When you say you want to touch on that a wee bit, do you want to uh, no, we'll, we'll get more pain from or okay, right. yeah, as it gets later on? But I, I just wanted people to be aware of that. Um, yeah, for sure. And so you found CrossFit. Uh, I remember our early days starting it off with metal plates on barbells and yeah. car parks and made up fabricated rigs, um, pliers, pliers for sleds, yeah, um, and all sorts of weird stuff that we used to do. But um, do you remember your first CrossFit competition? Oh yeah, Battle of the Fittest. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um. What was it? What was it called? Um. Uh, 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 Battle Royale at CrossFit New Zealand. Yeah, I do remember it. Um. Yeah, I, w I went all right actually. I finished eighth. Um. Out of a pretty big field, I remember getting. Um. I remember going there thinking I was going to be better than I was. But I also remember there turning up and seeing a bunch of really, a lot of really, really big jack dudes and thinking I was going to get crushed because I was like a boy amongst men. And then I remember thinking how rubbish they were when they started working out. And that was the first time that I realized that it did not matter what size you were or how big your uh, chest and shoulders were. It didn't mean a, a hell of a, a lot in the, in the big picture of the sport. So um i remember getting no rep on a workout it was a 30 pull-up buy-in and i did end up doing about 50 reps um because the judge kept no repping me and then i saw heats after me with guys not even doing close to the reps that i was so i yelled at the guy that was running the comp and i yelled at the judges to uh <laughs> to fix these guys reps and stuff and i guess that was obviously also the um first indicator that i was going to have to make a few apologies to people over the years as well so but yes i do remember it's cool um and when you came eight, did you kind of realize that this was a sport you could be competitive in? That like you kind of got there in your first comp, you were challenging some some big boys out there, and did it made you realize you could probably take this up as a as an actual sport, and you could possibly be quite good at it? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
I, I, ha- I think I had a top five in an event. And when you, when you finish high up, like it does give you a little bit of confidence and spur you in the right direction for sure. Um, if you go to a comp and you just get beat down, you know, event after event, it doesn't do a hell of a lot for the confidence. But when you, um, when you have a good finish, it definitely um, instills a bit of positivity into, um, into the direction that you want to take with the sport. And for me, it was absolutely, I, I knew that with a bit more time and a bit more training and cleaning up a bit of tech, then definitely I could progress to um, a better or higher level. Okay, so what, what year are we talking about here? What year was this? Do you remember? 2012. 2012, okay. So yep. 2014, Nine. you qualified for regionals for the first time. That's the right yep. year? Yeah, uh, as an individual, you were there too. I was, but... Uh, do, you remember, do you remember that? I, it's hard to forget my first regional. <laughs> cool. that, that damn last workout. Yeah. Let's not touch on that if we can help it. Okay, all right. It's for, another, <laughs> it's for another story. It's still on YouTube, actually. I think I might go find it again. Just relive it one more time. Uh, guys, <laughs> Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because I feel like it's too good not to talk about. Okay. Uh, probably is it better for you to tell the story than for me? I think. Okay. So for those of you listening, or those of you know Aiden as a coach and don't know this story, the last workout at regionals was uh, a team workout, and it was in the uh, what do they call it? Indian file. Yeah, And you had to do, how many pull-ups? 64 for you yeah, guys? 64 pull-ups and nine overhead squats at, I think, it wasn't even that heavy. Was it oh, 85? 85, yeah. Yeah, 85 for teams. Anyway, Aiden blasted through the pull-ups. was first off the rig. They put, the team put him out first because he was going to get the work done the quickest. <laughs> and uh, so then Aiden banged out a couple of reps. Maybe, I think they had to do nine. He might have got six. And then for the next 10 minutes... He's flailed around on the barbell trying to get those three extra reps. And every time he picked the bar up, the crowd would yell and scream. And then every time we'd go down for a squat, the crowd would just moan in agony at him falling out of the barbell over and over and over again. For t- it was about 10 minutes, 11 minutes. So everyone else was finishing and we were just getting our second person through. So that's there, your coach, guys. There's a, there really is a video on YouTube and you can actually hear the crowd. Oh, awful, Even when I'm not on screen, you can hear the crowd every time I pick up the barbell and every time I drop it. So, it was heartbreaking. But, but it actually, it actually uh, this is a moment for us that I think I will always remember is when I came and talked to you afterwards in the stands and I was about to go in for my last event as well, which was essentially the same workout. But Aiden and I were both in tears um, because of how bad he was, or how bad he felt, and how bad we all felt for him. It was a, uh, it was a pretty, pretty tough, tough way to end a, a fun weekend. But anyway, yeah, so um, I will remember that forever. I, if that wasn't your best competition either, I think, and uh, I think is it fair to say that that spurred you on for kind of the kick that got you guys to the games the next year. Yeah, definitely, because I, that, I mean, I was awful at regionals, absolutely awful. I think I finished, I think there was, that was the year they took 45 or 48, 48 I want to say, and I finished like 43rd, like it was terrible. Um, and I, to be honest, I, saw, I didn't do myself any favours or justice training the way I did for regionals. I thought I'd made it, took my foot off the gas, kind of cruised through that lead up into it. It's doing things that I thought would help me, but they, uh, looking back, it was terrible. Um, and then that was the best year that I've ever had. After that, I finished. Um, I would. I was in second place at the Invitational, um, which is a big Invitational comp where they invite our, well, when they did invite our top CrossFitters in the country um, to compete in a weekend at a at a um, fitness festival. 
or big boys tours or whatever it was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I had to pull out of injury, but I finished second there. I finished fourth at Battle of the Fittest that year, uh, or fifth, um, which is our biggest comp. And then we formed Zach's Pack and started doing well in all these overseas competitions, um, which, yeah, essentially led to the, the games uh, run that we've had. Um, and were you, were you doing your own programming back then, or was you, were you getting programming from someone else? I was getting programmed for um, leading into regionals. And then after regionals, I decided that... So my background is um, I have a bachelor's degree, for anyone that's interested, a bachelor's degree in sport and exercise science, uh, a postgrad diploma in exercise science. Um, first year, I have an honours in sport and exercise science, and I did my first year of my master's. So um, I decided after I had the knowledge and after I'd been doing the sport for long enough to um, have an idea of what we needed as athletes and our requirements that I could do it myself. So from then on, that was pretty much when I started Renegade and I started programming for myself. And then from there, that kind of morphed into me programming for the team and then programming for other people from there. So, so it, would you say it started not because you thought you knew better, but you were more aware of your own situation and, you, and that's kind of how it kicked off for you? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, no, no one knows better than anybody. Like sports science and programming and um, strength training and, and fitness training and stuff is not rocket science. Um, it's just about kind of – at that time, it was what knowing – what was going to be best for me and what was going to work and kind of what wasn't. And at that point, the volume was that, that I was doing was super, super high. And some might argue that my programming and training following that period was still pretty high, but nothing compared to what I was doing when I was following that original um, programming. So, uh, And so obviously it started with yourself. At this point, you were also programming for your gym back home, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yep. So the gym yourself led on to the team. When did you pick up your first sort of athlete that wasn't directly involved with you, if that makes sense? So like it wasn't either a team member or, or yourself. Uh, it was after the 2015 game. So I'd started, it might've been just before. No, it was before. No, it was before that. Cause I remember doing work. It might've been, it might've been midway through 2014. It was Lee Gaines actually, Lee Hain from um, one of our friends from Amphit. Um, she was the first one, so she contacted me. I had put a I put an ad up on Instagram saying that I was going to start programming individually for people, uh, and she was the first person that got hold of me. So that was, and then to be fair, through word of mouth, because I don't do a lot of advertising, I'm not very good on social media. Um, you need a marketing team to be. Uh, well, I think in my situation now, we need. I need a marketing team to bump that up. I don't have the time to do it. Um, but from there, it was just word of mouth. I had a whole bunch of people from her gym specifically jump on the program. Uh, and then that word got round from them to a bunch of other people. And that's kind of um, how it ended up being what it was. Uh, so that kind of leads us to today. How many, how many gyms and athletes are you, are you programming for these days? Uh, I currently program for 20, 27 or 28 affiliates, uh, affiliate yeah. gyms yeah. around the world. Um, I currently program for, we've got a hundred and, 118 people on our app, which we use, um, and thus split up between individual and um, people on the main program, um, people on a, our Renegade comp program that I've kind of just started making up now for people that are competing at the comps that are coming up for whatever we've got left of the remainder of the year. 
um, just so they've got a little bit more specific comp stuff to do, uh, leading into things like our nationals and our team nationals and Torian Pro, which are our big comps in this area of the world. Um, and yeah, so so the, the, that 120 people or whatever I just said, I've got about 30 of those as individual athletes and then the rest are on the in the main wider um, program. I don't know what you call that. Okay. So a fair bit, and it keeps me very, very busy. I, I can believe that. It's, uh, it's actually more than I, I thought you were on. It's obviously still still growing up and up. Yeah, I've actually had um, I've actually had a, a, a bunch in the last week. People, you wait till this COVID things end, man. COVID thing ends. People are fitness mad at the moment. Um, gonna... you, like I've been talking. I'm sure we'll go into this, but I've been right, continue on. We'll talk about it soon. Okay, okay. okay. We'll, we'll lead on from. Uh, you said you've just started this con- sort of uh, competitors program. Uh, let's start there. Okay, so. Um, uh, I know, I mean, I already know what you're going to tell me when you say this, but one of the big things I see around competitive fitness is that people think that you, you have to be improving only one side of your fitness at once. What are your thoughts on kind of continue or what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Do you mean putting a bias on? Yes, exactly. And then putting a bias on gymnastics. Yeah. So I've actually listened to it. So like, a lot of people think that to get stronger, they have to cut everything else that they're doing to become uh, and start working towards strength. So like, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you get around that uh, sort of targeting weaknesses and that kind of stuff? Yeah. I touched on this in the podcast on RX debrief actually, when I was the last podcast that I went on, uh, I, I've, you know, you, you know exactly what I'm going to say. I've always been a massive, massive advocate of concurrent training, knowing that you can build, and, and like I said on my last podcast, I, word for word, research is showing and research currently shows that you can build all aspects of fitness at the same time. Like with, a, with smart programming and proper nutrition um, and proper recovery protocols and stuff like that, you can absolutely build all at once. You, or you, if you, I'll use Richie and Miley as an example. But these two guys, for anyone that doesn't know, were... Um, two males that were in our games teams. Um, Richie was in 2015 and Mikey was in 2016. They decided that they would do a whole year of strength training. Um, and then right before the open, uh, do a whole bunch of anaerobic threshold training. And they had lost all their ability to perform high volumes of CrossFit movements well. They were very strong and they could hurt for a long amount, of, like, a, like a decent amount of time. But as far as the sports-specific stuff went, they didn't have the capacity to be able to hold on to a rig, to be able to hold on to a barbell, then go do a bunch of wall balls and then pick up a skipping rope and do double-unders without crumbling under fatigue. So I, like I say, I'm a massive advocate of doing everything together. How I get around it, or people wanting to try and get stronger at one specific thing, I guess... Like, that's a really good question. The way this season is, there was always um, a periodization phase through or how I would periodize through the year and that the open would be the the main goal for most people. So I'd get people fit for that and then following the open, unless they made regionals or the games, we'd get a little bit stronger um, and then slowly taper that and towards fitness heading into the next open. So in a a 12-month block. But 
now the way the years are and with people trying to qualify for the games through the open and all these comps all over the place and all these sanctioned events that I have a lot of athletes that compete at, the, the structure and the cycles and the periodization of programming, it just doesn't work the same way anymore. So I need people to be strong and fit at the same time. So I guess the best way to get around it is to make sure that people are getting a good mix of some heavy strength loading, um, lifting heavy, fresh, lifting heavy under fatigue, um, making sure they're keeping their capacity up for both and their gymnastic skill up and just programming um, as well as I can to make sure that every aspect is getting covered. Does that, does that make sense? Like it, it's kind of a hard one to answer yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's, specifically, it's, you know? Because that, 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 that was going to be one of my questions I asked you was, uh, do you still focus on different aspects of fitness during different times of the year? But uh, I think for a competitive athlete these days, you kind of have to be at, at what, 80 to 90% of your max capacity kind of all year round now? All the time, yeah, 100% all the time. Like, let's take Landy, for example. She did the Open, qualified again, um, needed to be fit for the Open to make sure she qualifies. Um, but also still needs to, like that, that turnaround now is long enough so that she can um, get strong and fit for the games. But that gap from the Open to the games is now so massive that she's going to need to do some, should be thinking about doing some comps in between. We don't have the option at the moment, but thinking about doing comps between the Open and the games, which means we have to train for those comps as well. Like if, if you go and I'll use Landy as an example because she's here and, and everyone knows her. But if I go, Landy, all right, we're going to get you fit for the open and then we're going to ditch all your conditioning. I'm just going to get you strong. And then she goes and does a comp in February and gets absolutely thumped because she's strong, but she's not fit enough. What do you think that does to her confidence heading forward into the games, you know, or heading into a training from there? So, and so as someone's coach, you think it's very important for people to continue to compete? Uh, you not think not all year round, but I do think, like I say, for someone like um, Landy, for example, you know, October to August is almost a year. You know, she qualifies in, in October through being the fittest in Singapore, which she has done two years in a row, and then she waits until August to compete. It's a very, very long time. Um, so I think a couple in between um, the Open and the, the Games would be beneficial. But I, I, do, I do think... Um, and you know what it's like competing. Megan goes through this all the time. Like last year, she competed every six weeks at the highest level, trying to PR every single time she went on the platform. And she had no time to actually um, super compensate and build onto what she had already built. So her numbers at every comp were about the same because she didn't have time to, uh, any time during the year to progress. So that's kind of a contradictory answer. I think you need to compete to stay um, comp ready and not have any ring rust. Um, but if you compete too much, then you just thrash yourself to bits and you don't have any time to get any gains from your training whatsoever. So it kind of cancels that out and it becomes redundant. So, Yeah, as someone who took a very long time between competitions, uh, so I did a competition in November and uh, the one I, I realized when I did the comp, my, the only comp I, the last comp I did before that was the games. I hadn't competed since. And it made me realize how much uh, of a skill competing really is. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and how there is a big uh, sort of mental aspect to it that you you almost get hit blindsided with during the competition and uh, yeah for sure and there is a uh, uh, just talking about comps and competitions um, you obviously coach a bunch of people around the world 
Um, kind of what sort of trends are you starting to see with competitions? And like, uh, what do you think athletes need to be particularly good at these days? Uh, or something that you kind of see maybe a lot of people are lacking and there's a, a, a sort of a need to improve it? It's a good question, actually. So I was just at the ACC um, Australian CrossFit Champs before lockdown. And that competition blew all of the trends out of the water. They had a four-day four day comp. When did we compete? Wednesday? Thursday, yeah, Friday, comp, they've got like 15 events, though, don't they? Yeah, they competed four days. They had like 15 events. Everyone was over it by day three. It was so ridiculous. Um, all of the events were so freaking hard and so heavy. So, like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. They did half, the, half the events, three-quarters of the events, the athletes didn't know until they walked onto the floor. Uh, so, I guess um, the guy who runs that, Darren, he wanted to kind of change it up a little bit. But it's hard to say because of that. Um, and you know what? Like, I think the way they ran the games last year as well probably won't ever happen again either. They, I mean, they've already said that everyone will compete until Saturday. Um, or, yeah, what did they say? Yeah, some yeah everyone's, everyone's going to compete till Saturday, which they didn't do. And the way they ran the games was obviously they were trying to feel out uh, a new system that I guess Dave Castro got told that he had to do. You know, regardless of whether he says he was all for it or not, he would have been given orders from the boss. This is what you're doing. Take your job or leave it. So I don't know about trends. I think... I think it still needs to be the same. I think everyone still needs to be strong, fit, um, fast, able to cycle a barbell, able to be good at gymnastics. Like, you know, the, the, the main, for example, the ACC was all CrossFit all weekend. So, and when I, I use inverted commas when I say CrossFit, because it was nothing out of the box um, that they went through. So I think people trying to get fancy or crazy with programming, um, and their training programs, I think it's pointless. I think if you just stick to the, the tried and true and the basics of the sport, I think everyone's going to be okay when it, when it comes to actually time to pull the trigger on a competition. Um, you, I, I heard you, you mentioned this in the last podcast, actually, um, and I thought it was quite an interesting point. Uh, so obviously a lot of competitions these days are online-based, at least as a qualifying process. Uh, and I remember you said something about what you expect from these, these kind of online qualifiers. Do you remember what you said or do you, could you touch on, and I've heard you speak about how you program for your athletes to get ready for these kind of uh, online qualifiers. Can you just touch on that for a second if you remember what you said? Um, I actually can't at all remember what I said. Do, do, do you remember yeah, what it was? You, you spoke about you do a lot of uh, – Interval-based training at, at sort of that 80 to 90% was short. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Cool, go on. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm handing it off to you now. I, I do that because um, most of the online qualifier workouts require you to work at 80 to 90%. Like, if you think about the Open, for example, let's use the Open workout that you and I did together, actually, the 10 rounds of the thrusters and the double-unders. So it was nine, or was it nine rounds or something like that? 10 thrusters, 30 double-unders. Like that, that workout was, I can't remember how long it was. It was about seven or eight minutes of us working out our absolute maximum capacity. So if we're doing... So the reason I do a whole lot of interval work or um, 
time-based interval work, two minutes on, one minute off, or three minutes on, one minute off, is because that allows us to be able to uh, work at that threshold capacity or red line without actually tipping over the edge, uh, rest, and then repeat the efforts. And I think research also says that we're always um, using our aerobic system. Now, like that is becoming more and more abundant in research, um, you know, the further we get on. So I think that being said, there's a lot of merit in being able to train. I think the days of going, okay, you need to, during um, the off season, do one hour long, um, you know, 70% or 130 to 140 beats per minute aerobic pieces to build your base. I think the days of needing to do that are gone. Like I think, um, now, because of what research is saying um, and the fact that people are always aerobic regardless of what we're doing means we can do a lot more anaerobic threshold and lactate threshold work um, without having to worry about that stuff too much. Do you remember when, uh, when Rudy started with Outlaw? He said you need to be able to work out at your threshold for 10 minutes and that's it. Like, I don't believe in the way he trains people now or I don't even know what he does anymore but I think that still holds true like I, I think if you can push for an online qualifier because most of the online qualifiers are between 8 to 12 minutes uh, this is exactly what I said actually between 8 to 12 minutes so if you can work at, at 90 to 100% for 8 to 12 minutes you're going to be uh, in a pretty good place for an online qualifier workout which is the reason that we do a lot of work rest um, stuff with Renegade for that reason yeah um does that make sense yeah it make, makes perfect sense and and that's kind of what i was trying to get at it's just trying to get a little bit of your methodology or a little bit of uh the thought behind the madness uh yeah in some of the program i know a lot of people in this in this conversation at the moment they don't see your programming but obviously i've seen it and uh and i thought that was a cool answer at least you explain kind of what most people who are starting out or are going to do a competition your first competition is most likely are going to be an online qualifier. And what I see is that people often worry about all the, these, these other details involved with competing that, um, that kind of only show up at the comps when there's, there's maybe some other things that they can get in a row. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two seconds. Sorry, guys. Apologize for that. Got a delivery. That'll get edited out. Don't worry. Pretty, um, pretty unprofessional. Yeah, yeah but I'm home alone, so I got no option. Um, okay. Yeah, on, no, a, no. on a less competitive note, Cullum, um, kind of what what is the major difference that you do when you coach or program for, like, say, your everyday athletes, the kind of person who turns up for the gym four days four days a week. Uh, what kind of what is the difference in the way you look after those kind of athletes, or, or what are you what are you kind of looking to program for them? I think it depends on what they want. Okay, let's. Most people, and I'm realizing this more as um, I get older. Most people need fitness for life, and we want to be able to move uh, when we're sixty or seventy. Which, are, which is the general population that comes into the gym. They say they want to be athletes, but they don't. Like, they don't know the kind of work or don't want to put in the kind of work that, 
that an athlete has to put in to be at games level or sanctional level. Um, so these people, you need to kind of, you can't, you can't obviously push them away from that. But I, I just think most people need um, fitness that's, or fitness and strength that is going to help them you know, 30 or 40 years down the track. Obviously, there's extreme cases of, of um, I'm kind of just segueing off your, your question there, but like, like Landy, for example, is a games athlete and she needs games training. Um, and that's what she's doing right now. So, and, and we've been there as well. Like I trained for the games, but my point behind this is that training will only last for so long. Like my body, when I finished competing, even up to last year when I did my comps, was so trashed. My knees were so horrendous that I would have to take Voltaren every single day to train. Um, and this was from 2000, midway through, through, through 2014 till the beginning of last year. And last year I um, tore a patella tendon and I had hip surgery. So I guess all of that was the final straw in my body saying, hey, you can't do this anymore. So, um, and I'm, I'm trying to kind of, uh, factor this into my affiliate programming now and that the volume at CrossFit Stomach Care has always been fairly high as well as with my competitive athletes but the affiliate programming now I'm trying to slowly bring that down because I you know just going from personal experience there's only a very very small percentage of people that need the kind of training or want the kind of training that we did over the years uh, to be competitive athletes at the highest level um, so I guess in answer to your question I I think that people come into the gym that want training. We need to nurture them and steer them in the right direction um, to what we think they need rather than what they think they need. Does that make sense? Like I, I think everyone comes in and they go, they see games athletes or they see our top athletes training. And I just don't think it's, I don't think it's what they actually want or need. And, um, and I think, gym owners and coaches and trainers need to be aware of this when they come in. Is that kind of... Yeah, that's, cool. that's cool. Um, kind of just a, a direction and maybe something that they need more than they want at times. Um, I think so. Like, yeah, like I say, people do come in and they want to compete and stuff, but I guess until they actually do a big block of like competitive athletic or competitive CrossFit training, um, and realize how much actual work goes into being at that level. Uh, I, you know, I think they get a pretty quick awakening pretty fast. And I've seen that kind of happen with our guys in the gym too. Uh, you know, um, I can think of about five people. I was going to name names, but no one on here knows these guys. But um, I can think of about five people at the top of my head that wanted to be competitive athletes, started doing the training that, you know, um, we were doing when we were training for the games and, and regionals and sanctional events and stuff like that and soon realized that it was probably a little bit too much for them and they couldn't quite handle the, the amount of time and effort that went into it. Cool. Uh, yeah. I think that's true. Uh, programming has never been something I'd, uh, I, I particularly, I don't think I'm particularly good at it. So it's, it's cool to get uh, feedback from. Uh, yeah. But you know, you know, you know what, you know, what it all means and, and how yeah. it all works. What, what are your thoughts on your question? Uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, that a lot of people think that you can start competitive programming kind of whenever you feel like it and that there needs to be a, a decent bridge between going from four or five CrossFit classes a week to 
building yeah, up sure. the two or three hours of training a day, which is kind of what it requires these days to be uh, at the highest level. Mm. Um, but there's still, especially in Southeast Asia, there's there's a lot of levels to com- competitive CrossFit that I, I've started mm. to see. And so um, I think for a lot of people, it just needs to be a bit more of a slow burn towards that, that competitive yeah. things. I would, yeah, I would say that too. Like I would never, I think competitions are great. I kind of, I fudge that answer a wee bit. I think competitions are great. I think people just need to be careful about how they go about training for competitions. If you're an intermediate or um, new to RX level athlete, you do not need to be doing two or three hour sessions every single day and flash yourselves into the ground. I agree. It needs to be a slow burn. I think a good prerequisite would be, you know, doing a good six to eight to 12 months of class workouts, you know, four times or five times a week, and then slowly adding in some accessory work or supplementary work after a class. And then maybe once that's happened, because I think probably the reason that my body is so bashed to pieces apart from uh, previous sports and stuff like that is that I went from zero to a hundred with CrossFit training. Like I, I started doing CrossFit at the beginning of 2012 and then by March I was doing my first RX comp you know so I'd already I'd already thrown myself completely in the deep end without building up um, the proper levels or prerequisite levels that I needed to keep longevity in the sport if that makes sense yeah yeah um, speaking of just kind of more generalized training um, I've had a, a couple of people ask me, uh, I've got a few questions kind of that we're going to go through now. Um, uh, so one of the, one of the, I actually got asked a couple of times is uh, how much sort of emphasis do you put on your athletes nutrition? And uh, like, especially now that we're isolated, how much importance did you put on that for your athletes or how much sort of work do you do, you do with them and, and what kind of level of, of importance do you put it on a scale? Honest answer. Yeah, honest answer. Not, none. <laughs> um, no, no. Um, look, I think the guys that are on the Renegade program and the main program and individual athletes are all obviously pretty serious about their training. Otherwise, they wouldn't be paying for it. Um, so I think these guys and girls are already interested in making sure their nutrition's good. Um, there are a lot that probably need a bit of help but we do renegade nutrition as well so anyone that needs help i usually would just put them on to zach or megan and um recently sonia and craig who are jumping on board as well with their nutrition stuff um but so two answers one how much importance did i put onto that over lockdown i like i say, i would hope that they would be looking after their nutrition otherwise they're wasting their time with their training how much importance do i put on nutrition uh everything like you, you know as much as I do, how important this stuff is for a number of reasons. One, we're in a, um, in a glycolytic sport. So we need, uh, energy, which comes from carbs, as you know, and we need to recover from the sessions that we're doing. So, um, nutrition as well as sleep is, is huge for that stuff. Um, yeah. So like I say, I put a, a whole heap of importance onto that. Personally, I don't do a whole lot of work with these guys on their nutrition just because I don't have the time. Like programming is my focus. And if I start um, 
you know, trying to do too many things, then something's going to suffer. And, and I tried to do a little bit of nutrition coaching last year and the programming started to suffer a wee bit because I couldn't put the time into it that I wanted to put into it. Um, and then, you know, my time started to suffer and then my mental health started to suffer as well. So I leave that stuff up to Megan and Zach and anyone that wants help with their um, nutrition coaching, I'll just push them onto these guys and they can look after them in that regards. And I can just focus on these guys with their programming. But if you are, if you are training hard and you're not eating to recover or you're not eating to sustain your efforts during training, then you're wasting your time. I think that's a pretty honest answer, especially yeah. if you want to be competitive. Um, yeah, for sure. The other side of this uh, that I got asked. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Um, is uh, So I had a lot of people ask me, uh, well, actually, I had a lot of questions about how you managed to punch so far above your weight. Uh, <laughs> your wife. Um, if you guys don't know, tell them. Hang on, hang on, wait. Heading out. So the mother of my wife, right behind me, Linda. Hi. Say good day. Hi, Linda. Hi. No, that's Aiden. <laughs> Sorry, Aiden. Who did she say? Since I saw you. Yeah, a long time, eh? How are you? How am I? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, where are where? you? Oh, where? Where are I'm in Singapore. Whoa, say hello to all the Singaporeans. Yeah, <laughs> there's about 17 of them on this chat with you. Linda, they can't see you. Look, you've got, you've got to be where in the screen you? here. There you oh, go. sorry. There you are. Hello, Aiden. Hello. <laughs> there's all the people that are listening to me talk, Linda. Oh, my, sorry. So this, is my, this is my wife's mother, guys. Linda. Um, uh, there are any kiwis on it. Oh, yeah, my brother's there. Yeah, Cody's there. Yeah, there's a couple. Oh, okay. oh is that a group chat? Yeah, it's a group okay. chat. Enjoying down there, Aiden? Yeah, yeah, loving it over here. Thank you. Good boy. Yeah. Well down there. <laughs> you look much younger than New Zealand. <laughs> I, I look younger now. Wow, it's good. Yeah, Singapore sun doing me doing me good, I guess. Because it's hot out there, hey. Yeah, very hot. It is hot. Ooh, but you're still white. You're not brown. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad yet. Oh, good boy. Oh, enjoy, very good. Enjoy what you're doing. Is it luck? Still lockdown or not? Yeah, still oh. lockdown. That's uh, that's why we're talking to Callum today. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Have you got enough food? <laughs> Sorry, what? Have you got enough food? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I just got some food delivered actually as well. So I'm well looked after. Thank you, Linda. Yes, you have to look after. I miss your cooking though. Yes, you are you looking real. <laughs> Bloody good. Okay, nice to see you. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Took, a, uh, took an interesting twist at chat. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry guys. Uh, but uh, one thing I, I've struggled with in the past, and I, I know you've gone through little waves of it, uh, how, how do you help or, or what kind of advice do you have to athletes who uh, kind of get into the edge of that burnout phase? Maybe you, you've been doing CrossFit for like three or four years and it's just kind of your body and your mind sort of starting to get a little bit edge. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a tough one. Uh, everyone, everyone deals with it differently. I would usually say, and we have people on the Renegade program that, um, that this happens to a lot. Um, 
I say take a couple of days off and then I would say ease back into training when you're ready to and only do things that you enjoy. Now, if someone's following the Renegade program and I've got a whole heap of different things for that, um, for that day, I would tell them to choose a couple of things that they want to do and leave out the stuff that they don't want to do. And you've just got to find that enjoyment of training again. Usually you and I are both the same. Like I've, I've had big slumps over the years. Um, and by walking into the gym and making stuff up that I want to do and doing the stuff that I enjoy, you know, for a time it was, I'd just go in and lift. Um, eventually that enjoyment will come back. The burnout will end up going. You've had a bit of a deload because you're only doing a few bits and pieces and usually you head back in the right direction. It is tough when you've been in it for so long, but I still find now, like I've been doing it for nine years now and I still love the sport and I still love training. Um, so I think making sure that you have the enjoyment of what you're doing is super, super important. Um, you know, rather than just going and like I say, the renegade program and most programs on the market have quite a bit of volume to them. And if you're doing that over and over and over, there is going to be a point where you do reach a, reach a brick wall. So I think managing that um, and making sure you're enjoying your time in the gym and, um, and you're actually going in because you want to rather than because you have to, I think is a pretty good way of, of kind of stemming that and getting out of it. Cool. It's a good answer. Uh, I've, I've only got uh, a couple more questions about coaching and then I want to talk about uh, a little bit of other stuff, but on a very similar oh, vein. Sorry, just go back. You, you asked me before Linda jumped on how, how I'm, or punching or how I got me. No, I'm just saying that you, I got multiple comments asking how you landed a wife when you are uh, you. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I say to that, she's punching. I think uh, we can all disagree with that, but whatever, go on. Um, in a very similar vein, uh, injuries, you've dealt with a few. You were talking about a torn patella. You had a hip replacement last year. Um, yep. Obviously, you're... It wasn't, it wasn't a hip replacement, but sure. <laughs> obviously, you're uh, quite old. Um, what do you say to people who might be... Uh, I'm experienced. Or getting through injuries, and how do, you, how do you keep kind of making some sort of progress during or while, while you're injured? Yeah, that's a tough one as well. And that's going to be different for everyone. You know, a lot of people, um, I'll use Rachel as an example. She got injured last year. Rachel is, was in our uh, Aiden's Games team, actually, and the one the year after that went to the Games from CrossFit Stomachy. She got her first injury last year, and uh, she let it get to her big time. Um, still kind of trained, but wasn't really putting in any effort, and there were a lot of, a lot of tears over the course of that time. Um, I think knowing... The good thing about our sport is that regardless of what you've got, there's still so much you can work on. Like I had my hip injury last year, so I had hip surgery uh, in November, and I was back doing upper body stuff within a week. Um, for me, training is a necessity, not just physically but mentally. So I think if you can find ways to work around injuries that you've got to keep moving, you're going to be better off long term um, than not doing anything at all. So. Um, the patella, the patella injury was pretty, uh, rough for me because I was having another crack at a team that we were, ho were hoping that was going to be good enough to try and qualify for the games. Um, that happened in the open and took me out of that team, which was a bummer. Um, so my training was pretty rough for a little while. Like I didn't really want to be in the gym. 
um, kind of lost condition, lost a bit of shape. But I think once again, making sure you're enjoying what you're doing, doing stuff that you want to do uh, to keep moving is the best way to get through it. Like every injury is different and people are going to deal with it differently. But I think you have to find ways to be able to continue to keep training and keep going to the gym uh, and getting something done during that time. And knowing that, like I say, in our sport, we're so fortunate that there are still so many aspects and different um, parts of fitness and training that we can work on. If we take out our knee, we've got upper body. If we hurt our back, um, we can do uh, heaps of pulling and pushing from a um, locked or stationary position. Um, if we hurt our shoulder, we can build our legs up. We're pretty lucky in that regard. So I think just making sure that people with injuries have a bit of guidance from someone maybe who's gone through it or they've actually got something to follow so that they can, yeah. It's always easier if someone's written something out for you um, to kind of follow that program with an injury. Like if I get someone that comes to me and says, I've got a shoulder injury, can, it, can you program for me so I keep training and I program in a bunch of league stuff, they're probably more likely to follow that than if they go, hey, uh, or follow that and keep training than if they come to me and say, hey, I'm going to jump off the program because I've hurt my shoulder and the chances of them actually doing anything or continuing on are going to be a little bit lower. So, yeah, From less of a programmer side and, and as more of a hands-on coach, uh, so like your average member from your gym has one of these injuries going on, mm. you would always recommend them to actually come and talk to you about this stuff and, and let you try yeah. to kind of help you with this 100% we we talk about Zach and I talk about Zach's my business partner at CrossFit Samaki we talk about this all the time like physios and doctors are so quick to tell people not to go to the gym and not to move and it drives us absolutely insane like there's so much they can do and so much rehab stuff that we can help them with if they let us know about these injuries rather than just not turning up and us not seeing them for a couple of weeks because the physio said I don't think you should train like I think I think people get so misguided by these health professionals doing that kind of stuff that it like it's ruining our industry. Yeah, in, in my personal opinion. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big movement in strength and conditioning that uh, coaches of the new doctors to some degree. Uh, yeah, I, and I think it's true. I, I like. Well, I don't think it's not true. You know, like I think we have heaps of people that I can think of a couple. Um, off the top of my head that have been told by physios not to turn up and, you know, rest. But they're far better off being in the gym moving, doing something. Yeah, so there's a lot of research out there around how if you've got, say, a busted knee, as you said, uh, the blood flow that the upper body pump will give you will help flush out some of that uh, static blood and and help the recovery process by creating extra... Red blood cells, man. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For sure. So anyone listening with an injury, go to the gym. <laughs> Just don't work <laughs> on. <laughs> on. Um, yeah, if you've got a sore shoulder, don't do heaps of snatches. Uh, what was a good advice? Um, uh, uh, actually, I might, I might leave that for the end, that question. Um, okay, so uh, we're in, obviously, we're still in lockdown over here in Singapore. You guys have come out of it, thankfully. Um, what, what advice do you have to people listening who might uh, be struggling with some motivation? What did you guys do in New Zealand that worked with your members and, and how did you keep people going? Oh, it's very, that's a very tough question, actually. So um, how many more weeks have you guys got left? 
we haven't been given a final date yet, but it's probably right. going to be two or three. Two or three more weeks, yeah. It was tough. So, like, um, we did online classes, as you guys are doing, um, Zoom classes. And the first week we were having um, 20 people plus in each class. Uh, and then by week three, everyone kind of hit a wall. And I did as well. Like, I, everyone went into lockdown. The next day we had a million people in class. Everyone was super enthused. Like, I'm going to keep training. I've got to come out of this in good shape. And then over the next two weeks, that waned. And by week three, everyone just hit the wall. Um, all of our members. So we, Zach, Megan, I, and the rest of our crew, um, we had a bunch of members that we separated into, or we we um, had where our team, so us as coaches looked after them. We were in touch with them every week, trying to make sure that um, they were still motivated, that they were still training. And then all of us collectively started getting messages by week three saying, we've had enough, you know, we don't want to train anymore. We're pretty over this. Um, so I think... Um, and then kind of after that week three, everyone kind of came out of it and then could almost see the light at the end of the tunnel and then started training again. Um, and then we're ready to go when they got back. I think, I think it's the same as motivation in the gym. So for me, for example, I trained really hard. The first week I did two sessions a day because I thought I had a heap of time um, and I didn't want to feel lazy and I didn't want to come out of this in, in rough shape. By week two, I realized that I couldn't do that. I cut it down to a one hour running clock. Um, just to get something done and by week three I didn't want to train at all so to get me through that hurdle I did exactly what I said before with motivation I just did stuff that I wanted to do I walked down to, into the gym um, and I made a workout up on the spot I put a vest on and I did some bodyweight stuff because I couldn't be bothered picking up a barbell I did that for a week and by the end of that week I was ready to go again I'd kind of refreshed enough mentally and physically that I actually wanted to go back down and start pushing again so I think it's probably kind of similar. I think making sure that you do stuff that you want to and uh, that you will enjoy slash want to do um, during that time uh, to try and help with the motivation. It's tough, man. Like uh, our world literally just stopped. You know, everyone's did for, for the amount of time that we've been in lockdown. So trying to find motivation when all of this other stuff is going on around the world, you know, people losing jobs and losing income and all that kind of stuff. It's quite tough to go, man, I need to go train now. So, you know, it's going to be different for everyone, but I, I, I'm a massive believer that doing stuff that people want to do will keep them moving and make sure that they come out of this in a, in a decent, decent shape or decent way. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, on the other side, uh, obviously you guys have reopened your doors. You guys have got classes going on again. Yeah. Um, what have you noticed from people returning uh, from obviously – whatever it was, six or eight weeks that you guys had off. Uh, and what advice do you give to sort of our people when we do get to open up our doors from what you guys have seen? <laughs> so I, I've said this to a couple of people. I was actually wearing Matamata, as I said, um, which is away from Auckland. And I went into the gym this morning and that their gym is pumping as well. And I think, so I liken it to New Year's break when everyone goes on holiday for two weeks and they come back enthused. But this is a New Year's break on steroids. So we've had eight weeks of not being able to do anything. Can imagine what people are coming back to the gym like. We've had a huge influx of uh, new members and new inquiries into the gym because people are fitness mad right now. They want to actually get back into it, um, which is really, really cool. And I, and I assume it's going to be the same everywhere around the world as we come out of this thing. Like People are realizing that they take this stuff for granted, having 
a, a good gym to work out and having good coaches being looked after, um, being able to work out whenever and wherever they want. So I think people are here specifically have realized that and are actually, you know, throwing themselves into it head first, which is really cool. Um, I think once again, there's going to be that three week point, which we're coming into this week where we'll find out if these people are actually serious about continuing to work out or if this was just a quick, oh, I'm, I'm super excited to get back into the gym. And then, you know, like after New Year's, people kind of phase out a wee bit and Peter. Um, my advice would be take it slow. We, our affiliate programming was super, super basic for the first week and a half. Um, we did no rig work because we didn't want people to rip their hands. Um, we didn't do a whole heap of double unders or running because people didn't have the the um, strength in their Achilles to be able to withstand any of that kind of stuff. So we're slowly phasing stuff in um, each session to the programming so that they um, can do it progressively over the course of three or four weeks. Um, and then by the time that four weeks or three weeks, that's like this week coming up for us as a, almost a regular program um, where they can actually work through and start doing some proper training again. So that would be my advice. Take it slow. Make sure you're recovering. Make sure you're eating properly. Um, and hopefully your programming or the, the coach's programming is progressive enough so that we're just literally like beginners again, starting at the very bottom and just progressively moving up to a point of where we can handle an hour class of two or three workouts or whatever we've got on a class. Um, anything people could be doing. So obviously we've still got a, a bit of building time now before we hit our opening. Anything people could be doing now that you think would help them be in better shape or in a better position when we do open? If people could find a rig, that would be fantastic. Because <laughs> that's the one thing. Like we did one of one session, we did um, a workout that had six pull-ups in it for a couple of rounds. I can't remember how many, but um, the amount of messages and photos I got of people with ripped hands the next day was ridiculous. So. Um, Definitely find a rig. But I, I think just keep training. Just keep making sure that when you get back into the gym, you have a good base of fitness or good base level of fitness so that um, that you're ready to go with whatever you guys throw at the, at the members of the gym. We actually, um, for the first week, I programmed nothing but AMRAPs in because a lot of people that didn't train over that break, and there were a few, didn't want to um, finish way behind everyone. People don't like finishing last in a class ever. So I made sure that we did a heap of AMRAP so that everyone was finishing at the same time regardless of their fitness level. So I think that's one important thing um, that could you guys could maybe take note of is just making sure that everyone in class is equal regardless of if they train the whole way through lockdown or if they train um, very little through that break. So yeah, our, our members can also expect that things are going to be pretty slow to start off with. It's probably going to be a lot yeah, of tempo sure. work uh, yeah. and some building of some strength back up using barbells again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, enough about coaching uh, and stuff. Uh, we're kind of coming to the end of this now, Colin. We'll just talk a little bit more about you individually. Um, and then I, I've got a couple of questions to finish up on. Um, so one thing I've, I've spoken about a little bit to people who have listened to me um, is about daily routines. And I know you're, uh, you're, really, you're really big on that. Can you just take us through kind of a normal day for you and what your day-to-day -day life is like. Yep, for sure. So I, um, Megan and I, my wife, both work together in the gym. Um, so we both run it equally. And she helps me equally with Renegade as well. Um, we 
set our alarms for 4.40 in the morning. We get up before 5. Um, both of us will usually be coaching. We run a corporate gym, so one of us will be coaching at the gym. One of us will be coaching at the other, the corporate gym. So we're in there, in there by 6. We'll coach. Um, we'll, I'll usually head into the office and do a couple of hours of programming. We have a training group that trains together usually around 10 o'clock um, or 9, 9.30. And we'll train till... Um, they will train till midday. I'll usually cut it a little bit short depending on what I've got to do. And then I'll hopefully, all going well, shut myself in the office from 12 until about 5 when I'm required to be out on the floor coaching again and just write programs and um, message people and deal with emails and stuff like that. Usually it's spent programming, to be fair. Not a lot of my time is ever spent anywhere else. Um, then I'll head out and I'll coach for a couple more hours. And then we are usually home by 8, all going well. Um, we'll have dinner, uh, which will usually be prepared. Um, where there's four of us in the flat, so we each take a turn cooking every night. So I'll cook on my my night off, and usually be in bed by eight thirty um, on a good day, nine o'clock on a bad day, and then we'll rinse and repeat and do the same thing again the next day. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a very boring lifestyle from Monday to Friday, to be fair. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way, like. I often think about this when it comes to motivation to keep coaching and stuff. We have the coolest job in the world. We get to make our, essentially make our own hours. Um, Zach and I get to travel whenever we want and we get to help people on a daily basis. Like it's pretty damn cool. Uh, you know, I've often thought of what I'd be doing if we weren't doing this. And regardless of having to get up at 4.30 in the morning and get home at eight o'clock every day, I wouldn't do anything else. There's no way. Um, it's actually pretty much answered this, but I was going to ask you, like, what do you find is your biggest motivator day in, day out? Like, what gets you out of bed? And I guess you kind of answered that. Yeah, like, it's everything. I, I'm really enjoying coaching again, and I go through phases where I find it tough to be on the floor. Um, and I go through phases like I'm in right now where I'm super enthusiastic to be out on the floor, and this could be because we've just come out of eight weeks of hibernation. Um, but um, that's... A cool aspect like that the members are um every every single we've made friends through this this uh this business and this lifestyle that we would never have made in in any of our other lives you know people that we hang out with now when i was racing bmx we never would have met um you know if it wasn't for this this uh industry so that that is a massive factor and the fact that um you know we can we pre like I say, we make pretty much make our own hours. I've got Megan who's um, trying to qualify or is pretty much in an Olympic qualifying spot. We can travel for her um, and I can help her do what she wants to do to be able to chase this dream um, is a massive motivating factor as well. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, and I'm, I'm assuming you're probably the same, you know, like I really enjoy this industry as a whole. You know, there's not one thing that I particularly like about it and there's not one thing that I dislike about it i think the whole thing as a whole is uh we're pretty fortunate to be doing this stuff to be yeah. fair yeah i think we've got the best job in the world and, absolutely uh, i've been lucky enough that obviously i've been able to take uh take what i was doing in new zealand and bring it and bring myself over to singapore and get to uh, yeah i'm actually people you know I've, i haven't said this to you but i'm really proud of what you've done by by picking up and leaving, picking up and moving away to where you did from a country that's relatively safe and easygoing um, is a massive step. Um, 
Plus, you had never lived out of home before, which was impressive as well. Had you? You hadn't had you? No, I no. hadn't. And everything was a, was a new for me. Brand new. So, yeah, I, I admire that. And uh, and I am proud of you for doing that. So, that's pretty cool. Anyway, I thought Appreciate I'd just say that. For, uh, for anyone in this conversation who's been coached by me, uh, Cullen was probably the biggest influence on my coaching style. And the way I coach was a lot of it was from uh, stuff I'd learned from him. So, cool to hear. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, Okay, uh, one last question, and then I'm just going to do some some very short, quick-fire stuff, and then uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up there. So uh, the last one I wanted to ask uh, is um, for for anyone who's looking to maybe compete or is kind of trying to take that step up, what what is something that you think they should look out for when trying to pick a coach, or or if they're programming for themselves, or or like what 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 kind of advice do you have for someone, either looking at programming, what they should be looking out for, or if they're looking at a new coach or something like that. I think trying to. Oh, that's a good question. I think. One thing that Megan will vouch for me is that I'm fairly genuine when it comes to the programming and coaching side of things. Um, that's not from my mouth. That's from hers. I think there's a lot of bullshit um, around with the stuff. I think um, – yeah, I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of um, – is it disingenuine? Is that the word, makes Disingenuine? Is that a word? Just genuine? Disingenuous, I think is... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I, I think people should look out for programming um, and people that are, that are genuine, that um, aren't doing it for Instagram likes and, and um, status and social status and stuff like that. I, I don't really know what I'm getting at. Like, I just think of, I can think of a, a particular program and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, but yeah. um, we don't do a lot of social media stuff. Um, we don't put ourselves out there probably as much as we should. And that is because we're putting the time and the effort into making sure that um, people have the best programming and service that we can give to them. That might not be us communicating with these people one-on-one -on -one all the time, um, but that, like I say, that's because we're putting in as much effort as we can into making sure the back end stuff that people don't see is as best, uh, as best, as good as we can possibly make it, making sure that we're using the right app, making sure Megan's doing a, a bunch of stuff on the website at the moment, making sure that, um, I'm getting it right so that people that want to compete aren't going to get thrashed when they get on the floor or that they're going to be able to recover from their sessions or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really important personally does that does that answer your question yeah it does uh, i think uh i think fitness industry is one of the biggest industries in the world where it becomes very little about almost sometimes what you do know and and just about what people think you know yeah uh, for sure uh, and so i think a lot of people can do a good job of making themselves look like experts at times when maybe maybe they're not so much uh, yeah this is the thing like um I've listened to a few podcasts um, with some good coaches of different programs and they're realizing exactly that. Like it's about, it's less about what you do know and 
more about building these relationships with people and making sure that they know that they're getting the best that you can give them rather than the X's and O's of, of everything. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of science out there and you could build a, a program scientifically as well, but I think what's more important is having someone who's genuinely invested in you. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and that, that makes a, a ton of difference. I, don't, I, don't, I still don't think, like, I, I'm segueing a wee bit here, but I'm going to use Training Think Tank for, for training think tank, think tank as an example. They do a, a lot of science, scientific-based programming and protocols that are based purely on numbers and empirical data and stuff like that. And other athletes are just as good, if not better, yeah. you know, with just regular, well-thought-out programming without having, they use a MOXIE to um, measure, you know, gas S exchange and breathing data and stuff like that. Like, who, first of all, who's got access to that stuff and who needs it? Not many. Like, I, I guarantee you Matt Fraser and Tia Claytumi don't do that, any of that stuff. I know Shane, um, um, uh, what's his last name? Or yeah. I know he, I know he, uh, he is, has a very similar approach to writing programs that I take, you know, and that it's, it's just good, basic hard work with CrossFit stuff. Like, yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a segue. I, I think, as long as you know what you're doing and you've got a good background in sport and exercise science, then you can program for the sport uh, with relative ease and make sure that people are going to move the needle in the right direction. Yeah. Cool. Okay. A uh, couple of last, last minute quick fire questions. Uh, I just got five. Uh, it's a little bit of a lighthearted way to end up. Cool. Things off. Yeah. Okay. If you I could wonder be, what, I can wonder what's coming. Anyway, go on. No, it's, it's nothing bad. If you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Ooh. Shark. Shark. Alpha. Alpha of the sea. So we're talking about great white. Dominance. Yeah, great white. Not, our, our training group is called the Shark Tank. So definitely like, alpha shark. Not like a reef shark. No, like a proper one. Okay. Big problem. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, or a gorilla. What is uh, one thing that is definitely on your bucket list? Ooh. Megs, what's one thing that's on my bucket list? It's quick fire. You need to answer real quick. Uh, more travel. Just more travel. Cool. Nothing what? particularly. I want to see the world. There's a, there's a ton of things to do in Singapore when you can do, guys do come back. Singapore, yeah. Make it said, live in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who knows, man? Yeah, I hope one day. Yeah. Okay, uh, who's your favorite superhero and why? Uh, ooh, I know you're um, a comic book geek. Yeah. Uh, all of the Avengers. All for of obvious reasons. I've got to pick one. Can't Captain America. Captain America. Because people bash him, and I think he punches well above his pay grade. So he's also my favorite, unfortunately. He, what do you mean unfortunately? He's good. He doesn't have he's any good. real. He doesn't have a suit. He's not a god. He doesn't turn into a big green monster. He just goes hard with what he's got. He's basically a human, and he crushes people. He wants, yeah, he does. He's pretty good. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think we all know the answer to this. For someone who goes to bed at eight 
the clock at night. Um, but are you a morning or a night person? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess a morning, but I'd rather stay in bed early as well. So Okay. Uh, and the last one, best part of your day, thing you're looking forward to the most? Best part of my day that I look forward to the most? Oh, probably nap time, to be fair. Nap time. You are. <laughs> you I do are like a nap. For a nap. I didn't even mention that in my day-to-day routine. Usually, if I've had a rough sleep, I'll nap, and it'll either be around 11 o'clock if I've finished training or just after I've coached a lunchtime class. Yeah, for people who don't know Cullen very well, he doesn't sleep particularly well usually. No. No, I'm a bit of an insomniac, and I have been for years. But if I am to coach a couple of nighttime classes and actually bring the fire, which I like to do, I need to be fresh and ready to go for those. So my mid-afternoon nap is very important. Hugely. Very, very important. All right. I'm going to end the recording then.